I V M. Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anubhav Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and on today's episode, I welcome back Ashwin Patni, head products and alternatives at Axel Mutual Fund. We are going to talk about what lies ahead for mutual funds, the industry, for investors, how you can fine tune your mutual fund strategy, all of that, and much more. Right after this short break. Subscribe to Paisa Paisa with Anubhav Gupta on YouTube for knowing more about a wide variety of financial products from mutual funds to credit cards to loans and much more. Boost your financial knowledge and growth today. Ashwin, welcome to Paisa Paisa. It's been almost two years. April 2022, we did this online. You were talking about ELSS. I'm just so thrilled to have you in the studio talking about a whole lot of stuff. So welcome to Paisa Paisa and thanks for doing this for our listeners. Thank you. Feels so nice to do it in a studio. Likewise, you know, seems like a different era, you know, virtual uh, Zoom calls, etc. Lovely to be back, you know, doing this physically. Great to have you. Let's start. The mutual fund industry has recently gone past 50 lakh crores in AUM. Okay, 50 trillion, 50 lakh crores. What's your view? I mean, this is, it's a fairly big landmark. And I think the progress in the last five years and in the last 10 years has been phenomenal. Just yes. your view on this. I think, you know, it's a strange thing because at one end, it is a staggering number. You know, I if all of us, you know, I've been part of this industry now for close to two decades. And, you know, if at any time, you know, you think about what would be a great number or what would be the kind of number we'll end up with, I'm sure none of us would have come up with this number. You know, we would have probably been a much lower number. So at one level, I think it's just a staggering, fantastic outcome. uh, And I think it's a great positive outcome. And we'll talk about that in more detail. But I think it's also one of those things where, you know, India as a country, that's the size and scale that we talk about. And, you know, that's where we get surprised when that size or scale, you know, sort of clicks into action. For too long, we are used to small numbers in India, right? We have been a developing country, we've been a, a perennially underachiever economically. I think that's something that we are shrugging off. I think we are finally getting to a stage where we are finally executing and delivering and reaching the potential that we deserve to achieve as a country. And when that happens and you are the largest country in the world in terms of people, one of the best saving rates, one of the best saving habits and meeting with a product opportunity, which is reasonably straightforward and long-term demonstrable uh, value adding investors. Uh I think when those two things combine, you know, when investors finally wake up and realize that they need to be more active with their portfolios and when they see a product opportunity which is easy to understand, long-term beneficial to them, you see 50 lakh crores. Let's go deeper. You know, let's talk about what lies ahead. What's your view? Where are we? I think um, I had a guest on my show. I think I don't remember clearly who he was, but he said that Today, or rather in 2023, 2024, 2022, in these last few years, we've reached where bank deposit used to be in the 70s. Yes. At a penetration level or at a general, you know. So what's your view on what lies ahead from here, you know, next 5, 10, 15 years? I think, okay, if I take a step back and look at household saving pies, let's say 20 years ago, two things used to characterize that pie. One was we used to call these two things, you know, where was a term used as financial savings or firm called physical savings. Physical is nothing but real estate and gold, yep. which were your traditional sort of where most of our money used to go, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. There was a smaller piece called financial savings, 
so a there was itself that that was one part of the problem which is too much money going into physical assets not enough into financial and then within financial there was obviously these all these so called you can say assured return products or sort of low risk products or whichever way we want to call it yeah. you know bunch of them uh, we all know the names cut to today i think so basically what is driving this trend i think clearly one is that we have a we've always been good in terms of our savings rate but we've not been good in terms of our macro management the biggest problem has been handling of inflation uh, over the years you know it's very very volatile we've got episodes of very high inflation it it is the single most important variable that can destroy any economy what is the single biggest reform therefore in the last 10 years that we have a formal inflation target that the reserve bank needs to work with and what has been the outcome of that reform is that you have the most stable inflation environment in the last 10 years that you have seen correlative to even in an environment last 2 years 3 years when post covid thanks to the disruptions on supply chain and a few other factors inflation has been volatile mm. but it is nothing and even nowhere close to what uh, we have seen in the past when it was truly out of control so when you create a stable macro environment what that does it inflation uh, becomes stable what that creates is interest rates become stable it becomes uh, asset returns become more stable and predictable it gives much more comfort confidence to new investors people who are what watching from the outside to see okay i think this is something that i can manage so what we have seen therefore over the years is moving of physical assets to financial within financial moving from more fixed return low risk to yeah, something yeah. which is more growth oriented and that's what mutual funds have benefited from yeah. and i think that trend is continuing i think the industry is growing at 15% look at the nominal growth and savings i think clearly that's a market share that we are getting and 15 is not an unreasonable rate given the the potential for more uh, market share within the savings itself that mf yeah, has yeah. and the natural growth that we have Okay, so we're done with the mutual fund part of the discussion. I want to move to your outlook now, um, stock markets and the economy because both are obviously linked. We just ended twenty twenty three with like some eight consecutive years of positive returns. I at least have not <laughs> seen that you know yeah happen for a long time. And here we're talking about Jan to December calendar years of that. I think the last we had that was somewhere in the late eighties or nineties or somewhere there. So obviously there is some hesitation that can this continue. you just talk a talk to our listeners about the macro and the stock markets your view yeah so it stay in that order so let's be talk about the macro i think macro is from a stock market perspective if you look at macro i will go back to my previous statement that what is really needed is a stable macro environment what you do, you don't want a, a massive growth burst or because you know the boom bust cycles is what you are trying to avoid so i think what works best for everyone is a stable macro environment with the economy growing in a stable way which is a more sustainable growth and the medium to long term growth rather than worrying about what the next quarter's gdp will look like or next two quarters gdp will look like with that context i feel we are in a good shape in the sense that i think our macro is stable and i think our growth rates are uh, sustainable uh, if you look out over the next 3 5 years of course there will always be risks mm. uh, uh, the main risk in this case is coming from the global environment but even adjusting for that i think there is potential for us to sustain these growth rates now you can argue that within what is our long term growth rate but i sure. think in this 6 to 7 bracket which we are right now is a pretty sustainable number yeah. and in a stable inflation interest rate macro 
to sustain a decent growth rate i think that percolates into a very good environment for listed companies yeah. to operate in in terms of whether it is the top line growth whether it is bottom line profitability growth so in stock environment therefore this backdrop is likely to be supportive having said that i think this 8 years of calendar year positive is a little bit of a quirk statistically as you i'm sure you can uh, mm. you imagine as well that of course we've had one of the steepest corrections we've ever seen when we when covid hit in march 2020 march april 2020 and i think it was a frightening 15 20 days for the market even if you look, i mean don't look at those extremes even last year if you remember when the first set of global uncertainty had hit the markets so we i would say that yes markets have done well long term but it's not that it's been a straight line we've gone through ups and downs we've gone through episodes of sections of the market you know getting affected because of peculiar situations of theirs overall market correction so we've seen a little bit of everything i think which is a sign of a healthy market which is that you have uh, delivered long term growth but it's also seen ups and downs so investors are not should not get complacent Correct. i think that's yeah. where yeah, yeah, yeah. the mistakes get made as long as you are sensitive to risks i think the long term is fine Yeah. So let's look at specific events. For example, like we've got. I mean, this is a major year for, I think, the world as such for elections. U.S., India, yes. a lot, lot of other countries. But specific to our markets, how does that look to you? The elections, any impact or or any other factors or any you know events that you're watching for the next year, next financial year. I think uh, I as I briefly said, I think the big risk uh, that not just us I think is widely recognized as the main risk is uh, you know potential for a hard landing in the, some of the big developed markets as well as big markets like China and other big developed markets let's say US and some of the European markets. I think elections because many of these markets are also going to see elections and you know obviously we can be fixated on the indian but the reality is that this is a huge year us uk some of the big markets are going to see elections in those markets more than elections i think it's their economic management whether it is forming from their central bank or from some of the other stakeholders which will set the stage of course there is always when there is an election and there is always a risk of populism etc that comes into the picture but i think the risk is coming from any potential policy missteps which could create a, a disruption for the wider world that would be the number one biggest risk for people to watch as india is a reasonably open economy these days whether it is in terms of our financial flows trade flows uh, sentiment any global dislocation will play through in the form of not just market dislocation but also sentiment and could lead to some weaker gdp for a period of time i think that's the main source of risk for the markets having said that i think i would see this as a temporary event if it does play out and temporary doesn't have to mean few days few weeks but it could mean a few quarters but i think if you're a long term investor let's say with a 3 5 year horizon 6 yeah. 12 months of ups and downs is something that you should be able to live with so i would be focused more on yes election will capture the noise this year we've already kicked off i think uh, the first two elections of the year bangladesh and bhutan are already out of the way so they'll be top of the mind i think for everyone but uh, the bigger issue is policy and you know just the risk coming out of maybe a hard landing sure so folks we're going to take a small break out here and on the other side of this episode we're going to get you the actual actionable items for you in your portfolio of mutual funds based on whatever we've spoken so far don't go anywhere we'll be right back 
and welcome back okay ashwin let's get into the actual advice or rather your 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 point of view for our listeners because this whole influx into mutual funds is also something that's new for a lot of people india is also a very young country and there are a lot of discussions that are happening everywhere yeah i want to start with equity mutual funds and go into debt now yeah. within equity you know there the two biggest discussions that i've seen or questions that i've seen people ask a lot is active versus passive and an allocation between small mid and large especially given that small and mid have you know yeah. taken off and access has products across the board yes. i would think so let's let's start with equity mutual funds and within that one active versus passive and two small mid and large so before i come jump into how to look at that i would also highlight that for most investors the one area where they actually spend less time which is actually the biggest driver of portfolio experience is your asset allocation i think it has to be that context especially for people who are new to investing asset allocation is nothing but how do you split very simplistically if i look at the two big asset classes equity and debt given your portfolio objectives given your risk profile given your horizon what is a big fair mix that you want to split your asset in why is this important because bulk of the risk or the return outcome of the portfolio gets driven by this single decision suppose you decide to put 50-50 mix 50% into equity 50% into debt that is a far more important decision than within equity whatever mix you do of course we'll come to that and it yep, makes yeah, a difference yeah. not that it doesn't but but that's and and that tends to be something that we spend relatively less time on as investors you know we all have this I, I mean, we're all guilty of it but it is an important one that people should be mindful of having said that suppose we've decided to allocate to equity how should we approach it and you rightly said there are two sort of vectors that you could look at active versus passive and you know which segment of the market large mid small if i take tackle them one by one i think active versus passive to me is all about how well the investors understand what they're getting into it's not so much about the style because passive is just a choice of how the portfolio so i say passive is a way of active why because in passive the choice of the active part is on the investor mm. in a normal active portfolio you are giving the money to a fund manager and saying okay you select the stocks in passive that decision is actually back to you it's not that it is not active it is just that because let me give you an example you could do a passive fund on sensex you could do it on nifty you could do it on nifty 50 or nifty 100 how do you decide so as an investor uh-huh. you make the choice oh, right? this is the nuance that people miss actually correct so it is not everything is active there is no truly passive thing yeah, right because yeah. everything involves taking a, a conscious decision yeah, so you are saying like even if i decide to go quote unquote passive and choose four quote unquote in, indices that's an active decision for me also exactly nice. so i think people need to understand what they're getting into just the fact that you are an active or passive will not take away the need for that understanding where i'm worried with how people use passive is that it gets clubbed with something which is seen as very simple the reality is it's not mm. because for example this nuance like it is an active call by the investor and there are dif- the choice of selecting a certain index that index has certain rules by which they include stocks not include stocks so effectively it's a stock selection but by the index provider those things it's if you're putting somewhere your money for the next 5 years 10 years you need to be aware of those things how is it affect the experience versus others so i would say active versus passive to me 
is not a very big argument. Both segments can work for investors, provided they understand what they're getting into. Any large portfolio, there is room for allocation for both. Mm. And that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Exposure to both. But it should not be seen as a shortcut to take a decision without doing the groundwork. Yeah. Uh, which is what I'm worried that sometimes passive tends to become. Uh, you're right because this entire discussion about a majority of active not being able to you know yeah. match or beat or whatever the whole passive thing is that the noise around that has become to such a level that people have started to distrust active and they just think that passive is a like you said simple safe and you're right about that that it's underlying asset is equity yes the index is so so when you know, COVID happens and market is down 30% in seven days, even the passive fund will be down 30% in seven days, right? So I think what you need to, what will not go away is the market risk. What will not go away is the element that if you are in a certain segment, that segment may work differently from other segments of the market. So, which is how different active managers either work or don't work, right? Because they choose certain segments and they, depending on how successful they are in terms of getting the segment right, correct, correct, their experience correct, can correct, be good or bad. But that can same thing can play out in passive also. In passive also, correct. So I feel the best way out is probably spread across two, three funds, spread across three, four funds. Yeah. One or two out of them could be passive, one or two out of could be active. Make sure that you understand what you're getting into. Make sure that Especially for active, of course, the work is slightly more complex because you have to, it's not just about that the segment that, but also the fund manager style, which for a newer investor can seem a little tough. But I think if you do your basic groundwork, look at uh, some, you know, read up a little bit about their fund manager's commentary, their style, look at the fact sheets, look at their experience over some some different time periods, you at least get a sense of what that fund manager stands for. I feel for anyone who's serious about uh, managing money, makes sense to do this. If you think that you're unable or unwilling, use a trusted advisor or someone who can help you handhold you on this. Uh, But not doing this is not fair because then what happens is when the going gets tough, when environment is tough or the performance is tough, then you're scampering to take decisions which then are suboptimal. Correct, correct. I kind of have a feeling that, you know, your small, mid, large also will be in the same direction, but... Go for it. I feel small bit large again. The worry there is again that, you know, sentiment overrides everything, which is not the right way of taking decisions. You know, this is a good time to talk about these things because we have a situation where we've probably got a historic outperformance by small, mid to large on the last 12 to 18 months. And naturally, what that has done, and if you look at the cash flows, is there's a massive skew in favor of small, mid and away from large when investor flows are... Now, this to me is, again, smacks of slightly trend following kind of an approach, which usually doesn't end very well. We do this analysis uh, at Axis every year Mm. where we have done long term trends of what the mutual fund industry has delivered on a blended basis and on the investor experience has been. And not to no surprise, the investor returns typically end up... The behavior gap, what's called. Behavior gap, what's called. So in India also, it's live and kicking and it's quite large. And obviously, that's not a good situation. But a lot of that comes out of these kind of situations where the long-term asset allocation goes out of the window when market sentiment becomes very strong and people get swayed to take certain decisions. So I think the short answer is the best way of doing this is imagine if you can write down what should be a five-year, 10-year story and just revisit it every year. 
So that what that does is the minute you put down saying five, seven, ten years, automatically you will be a little prudent to say, okay, my large, mid, small needs to be this thing. And if you keep keep coming back every year, mm. then that there is a, a grounding or the basis to the thing. You not sway yourself to go completely lopsided in either direction. Yeah. You also have the other extreme, which is also not healthy. Which is when small caps go through a tough period, people go completely let go of small cap large. and go completely large cap, which yeah. is also not healthy. So I think the the balance has to be an important one. And, uh, you know, sentiment should be kept out of it uh, as far as possible. Yeah. So, folks, the behavior gap, we've done a few episodes on Paisa Paisa. In the past, you might want to look up. I think there was uh, Gaurav Rastogi of Kuvera who had mentioned this. But what Ashwin is talking about is very simple. When you look at a long-term performance of, say, XYZ mutual fund scheme, it has given you, you know, X return or A return, B return, whatever, 10%, 12%. And if you put a bunch of them together and you look at all three of them separately versus what you did in your portfolio, <laughs> when small and mids are going up, you decided to enter there and you exited large and the cycle turned, and that's a return that you get as an investor. Might not be the same that the fund is delivering over the longer term. That is called the behavior gap. And like Ashwin said, that is huge. Okay, so the fund might do well from the portfolio manager's perspective, but you as an investor might not get that in your pocket. Chalo, equity mutual funds, okay, debt mutual fund. Let's talk about that. What's your view there? You know, because we've got all this thing about how interest rates are at its peak or nearing its peak or where, wherever we are on cycle. And debt actually is a little bit, I think it's a newer category and also a little bit tougher to understand for a lot of people. Your view? I think we have probably overcomplicated also debt because there's just too many categories in debt and that can feel a little bit like a maze for especially smaller investor or a newer investor. For most smaller investors, there's not a need for, you know, 15 categories. You know, these are probably meant more for sophisticated investors or larger investors yeah. or more maybe institutional investors. I think the first task is to just maybe simplify to two or three categories which are evergreen. And here I will probably put, if I look at the SEBI parlance, uh, the short term and the medium term categories and probably I'll put in dynamic bond in that. If you take these two, three categories, these are categories which are meant for long term outcomes. They are not managed for next three months. Of course, there's an active management. Yep, so the portfolio course, yeah, will yeah, yeah. keep reflecting the situation. But ultimately, as investors, if you are looking for a long term debt allocation, just like you're looking for a long term equity allocation. And for most of us, if you are looking at a portfolio, which is over the next 10, 15, 20 years and asset allocation, debt also should be seen as the long term debt, not just just because it's debt doesn't mean it should not be seen as a long term option. So then the you should try fitting your long-term objectives with schemes which are being run with a long-term mindset and which have the ability to capture the opportunities in the debt market. Now, debt market opportunities can be either yield curve or credit curve. And going back to the two, three categories I mentioned, short, medium, dynamic bond, these are categories which have a reasonable ability to go across yield and uh, credit curves and most of the mainstream fund houses offer products within these categories yeah. which can work as long-term options for investors so that's yeah. the one that i would say as long term and of course there's an element of debt which is your cash management and which is an easy one so that yeah. uh, we can anyway continue to use those set of schemes for cash management talking about liquids and, and liquids ARBs? liquid arbitrage overnight some ultra short funds so there's a bunch of funds which work very well for your short-term cash management needs, which is also an important function. But then what gets overlooked at times is this more the long-term asset allocation aspect of debt, which I think is an important feature. Yeah, so I want to just go back to asset allocation now, because now that we spoke about equity and debt, let's revisit the asset allocation 
point that you mentioned because it's very important. You know, in the, in all the discussion about SIPs and mutual funds, a lot of people are very comfortable with index funds and small, mid, large, active, passive, whatever. Let's just take a step back, and if you could just help our listeners understand how should they look at the asset allocation, you know, and let's talk about an average guy who say twenty five. Yeah. You know, he's looking at very long runway. You know, yeah. and how should he look at his asset allocation? He's new to investing, new to mutual funds. What would you tell him? Yeah. So there is this anecdote about uh, this guy. And I'm, it's a very common anecdote. So apologies if some of the listeners have heard this before. But uh, this patient calls the doctor, can't sleep uh, because my stocks are down. So, <laughs> no, I, so this is... I haven't heard uh, this for a while. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, so if why can't you sleep? So my stocks are down. So reduce your exposure to the level that you can sleep. Okay. Basically. So just putting a very, you know, saying it in a very tight way. But essentially, the doctor, that's what the doctor tells him that, you know, if you can't sleep because your exposure is too high, uh. then the the solution is just find an exposure that works for you to make you sleep. And, you know, that's, in many ways, that's how asset allocation is supposed to work, which is that not all of us are the same. Uh, we have different risk profiles. We have different horizons. Even the example you gave of someone who's very young, say 25, with a very long horizon in front of them, because of familiar family's background, because of uh, professional background, because of uh, just behavioral background, you know, two such people could have very different approach towards risk. Yeah. And why is this important? Is because, to back to my earlier point, when risk materializes, when seven days market is down 30%. For all of us, what will drive portfolio performance is not what we do 99% of the time when the market is normal. If that 1% of the time when market is abnormal and we do something which is knee-jerk, the ability that it has to harm our portfolios is disproportionate. If we sell at the time when market is down 30-40%, if we stay out of the market at a time when it is cheap, and then we try to catch it after it has rallied, you know, then you can do a lot of other things right. But yeah, the yeah, hole that yeah. gets created in times like these, it's very difficult to actually fill elsewhere. So that's where the sentiment, behavior, risk, whichever way you want to put it, becomes a crucial thing. Because if you think that, and let's put some numbers now, say a 50-50 asset allocation will work for someone when we say what does that mean? What that means is you've put 15 equity and say 15 debt. Debt is assuming debt is a stable asset. Sure. Will not go through an extremes in terms of capital at risk. Equity goes through an extreme and debt therefore is stable. So in an environment where we have seen equity markets down 50%, this kind of a portfolio therefore could have a situation where it's 50-50, could be down by about 20-25%. Now as an investor on your journey, in the middle of the journey, if suddenly you were told that what you thought you had, you actually have 25% less than that. Uh, that's not going to feel good. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel good. No. But are you be going to be okay or will you feel, will you panic into saying, okay, it's 25% down. What if it's another 25% down? I can't afford this. Let me get out. Let yeah, me cut yeah. my losses. If you can remain calm at that moment when it is 20. So that that's a thought experiment that many of us should do to decide our uh, as a yeah. right? If if I see six months from now that my portfolio is down twenty five percent, can I still be calm and carrying on and be continuing my journey if yeah. that happens? Yeah. And if we do that, then it does two things. One is we get the right, hopefully a reasonably right asset allocation for ourselves, mm. and b the odds that we will then do something knee jerk when this actually happens 
is is hopefully comes down sure and and hopefully then people are able to find the right balance for themselves okay so my last question on this episode is a big one in the sense that it's a question that keeps on coming a lot nowadays with the markets doing well and people's portfolios also doing well and some people's portfolio not doing so well i for example you know i am in that kind of a situation but how do i choose a mutual fund scheme to invest in i mean there's no i don't know whether there's an art or a science or a whatever it is, but your views on that because uh, it's quite obvious that performance is not the only criteria you yeah. would then just be chasing something that doesn't might yeah. not work for you in the long term yeah your views yeah so i think one is i think there are no shortcuts you should get your hands i, I mean I, there are only two approaches if you want to do it yourself you have to get your hands dirty if you don't have the time or don't have the interest then please use a specialist but the uh, not a very good thing to do is to sort of do a shortcut or just looking at historical returns which is what a lot of people who are pressed for time or this thing would just go by that so which mm. is not a great situation having said that how do you what's the right way i i don't think there's one right way but let's say one way which could work for people is uh, do a step by step approach instead of just saying okay give suggest a lot of people do because you know when you work in the investment industry that's the most common question you get asked suggest two good funds to me yeah. now that's i think a wrong starting point a structured starting point and it sounds boring but I, unfortunately that's the most i feel the best way of doing it is we stock out asset allocation so start there say okay i have 100 rupees in my portfolio what should be equity what should be debt whatever is that number 70 30 let's then take a step down okay this is my equity portion 70 whatever that number is let's talk about where what segment of the markets work for me let's go into that so then you get to a situation where you have clarity that okay i have so much money to put in equity and i have roughly decided that large mid small so given this this is the segment that i want to do and then i start thinking about which funds within those segments can work for me so you're already solving for a lot of the things that could create which can take you off the path within that once you have done it then there are enough number of tools you can yeah. go through i think all said and done the the easiest thing is it is very easy to do research these days so once you've decided a segment let's say large or mid in that segment you can see the names of the funds you can see their i mean it's very easy to see yeah. some of the key features like portfolio size like portfolio some of the key parameters including of course return is important so Shop you should issues, look at return yeah. but other things like risk etc some of the you can also these days the portfolios are transparent all month end portfolios are published so also should do a, at least a basic analysis is easily possible to say that what is the portfolio manager style what has been the consistency of their longer term experience preferably let's go with funds which have been around for a long time because that's just yeah. it just helps because you have a longer history to be able to analyze and take a take a view on it also speaks to the stability of the fund management company they've been around for a long time they have they have the resources to maintain and sustain that for a longer time so it just gives you that much additional headroom and then i think in that category once you looked at some of these things schemes have reasonable corpus so they that means that it's a large enough scheme to be yep. taken seriously yep. they have a, they've been around for a long time so these are some of the good hygiene checks and then once you've done these hygiene checks you will probably end up with 7 8 funds which probably will meet that criteria and then within that you can then probably select a couple of them yeah. we're looking at the performance style portfolio etc okay. so i would say Of course, I'm making it sound pretty. As I said, you have to get your hands dirty. Some of these things are easy once you've done the effort once. 
the good news is that it then becomes easier because once you've done the effort, once you know the drill, then it helps you every time. Over time, you can make it reasonably quick yeah. about it. So I would say that's the that's the part. And the main thing to know note here is mutual funds are not like stocks. It's not about getting one good stock or one bad stock that can totally, I think mutual funds are portfolios. So there itself is a lot of risk protection embedded because effectively you're not, your outcome, obviously this is being, I'm saying this in an equity context, but it applies yeah, to yeah, debt yeah, context yeah, also. Of course. In an equity context, your outcome is not linked to the performance of one stock. Most portfolios tend to have 30 to 40 stocks. Probably some of them have 50 or even more than that. So starting point itself is that it's a diversified portfolio. It's not, you're not choosing for one stock being right or wrong. So most, the, the most important advice or most important suggestion is getting the best fund is not necessary. Mm. As long as you get a good enough fund, which does reasonably well, your objectives, chances of you meeting your objectives are there. Yeah. So folks, I'm going to recap that for you. First, of course, I think you need to look at it as a kind of a concentric circle. You start at the outer circle, which is your... Asset allocation started equity versus debt. And then within each asset class, you drill down what are your selection criteria. For example, what Ashwin just said is that there are enough analytical tools out there for you to, you know, gauge each and every mutual fund within equity and debt. There are factors like size of the scheme. Okay. The vintage of the scheme, which is how how old it is. Performance, believe me, as Ashwin just said, is just one of many criteria. And there are a whole lot of ratios out there. There is drawdown, there is rolling returns, there is sharp ratios, there's variances. There's so much. So basically find something that suits your objectives, if I've if I've got that right, Ashwin. Yeah. And also I think there's no need to overcomplicate it also. We have a tendency in, in this industry to have, as you said, you know, there are enough ratios out there. But I think as you get your hands dirty and figure out a few ratios, over time, you can see that, you know, some things that work for you. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. those, you know, so it, it, it doesn't take 25 days. You know, we're not trying to launch a rocket here. Yeah. Even if you get a few, four or five key variables that you get a handle on over a period of time, you have the comfort of how to read those variables. I think it, and and the good news is for most of us, we are regular savers. It's not about one time decision that we are making, which will completely reversible, right? It's an open-ended, most funds are open-ended. We can put some money, we can fine tune this along the way, six yeah. months, 12 months down the road, as we see more information, we have the ability to fine tune. And see what the experience has been. Absolutely. So yeah, that's actually the, the most important point that we've left for the last is this portfolio review. And I don't think it should be done daily. The market goes up 5%. So what's my portfolio? And I don't, at least I don't believe in that. But you think that twice in a year or once every quarter is good enough for all? I think it's good yeah. because we should be aware of, I wouldn't say it is meant to take decisions necessarily, but we should be aware of what our portfolio yeah. is up yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if there are risks uh, that have gotten built in, we should be aware there could be, you know, anything out of the ordinary in terms of performance, either on the way up or the way down. We should be sensitive to that. And, you know, it's our money. We're supposed to sort of, we want to make sure that it's doing whatever it's supposed to do. Yeah. Over maybe a year or two, then is probably a fair time to then start thinking around whether those allocations, like I said, there is no right or wrong answer. There's no one fixed answer. Maybe you start with even the fundamentals like asset allocation. Maybe you think about some number, but as you go down the line, 
you revisit it and say that, okay, mine, maybe I can be 5% here or 5% there. So that's the time to sort of keep reviewing this yeah. and keep thinking about, uh, you know, and every part of this is can be reviewed. Yeah, And the more you stay experienced, the more you learn and the more you can tweak Absolutely. your strategy. Okay, Arjun, so we are done. Our standard question, the last question that is there on our show, what book are you reading or any content recommendations you have for our listeners? So the book I'm reading actually has nothing to do with finance. It's a book nice. called Wasteland, but it's a very important, I think, matter for I think a very underappreciated matter for all of us these days. It's just the sheer amount of waste that the modern economy generates. You know, I was reading data that uh, we generate, I think, in the developed market, something like two kgs of waste per person per day. Wow. And all of that is going into our landfills, our oceans, our water bodies. And it's just a complete... uh, uh, ecological nightmare and I think it's a area that gets literally swept under the carpet uh, for all of us but I think uh, it's even more salient for us in India because we really are struggling all of our cities with waste management as an issue but uh, moving to a the, something which is relevant I think one area that I one book that I very strongly recommend to people within who are, maybe they are new to the journey or maybe they are in the middle of the investment journey is psychology of money I think sure. it's a Fantastic book, the way they have made uh, some of these issues accessible. I, In fact, I gifted that book to my son last year and, and I was very happy to note that he really enjoyed reading and sort of liked some of the topics that came up. Yeah. So I would say if people are looking for maybe the first book or the one book that can really make some of the points that we made accessible or generally the broad investing yeah, journey, yeah, 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 yeah. I think Psychology of Money is a great place yeah. to start. So there you go, folks. Wasteland and Psychology of Money. Of course, Psychology of Money is by Morgan Housel who was there on our podcast back in Jan 2019. So, but that's it. That's a wrap on this episode of Paisa Paisa. My guest, Ashwin Patni, Head Products and Alternatives at Access Mutual Fund. Ashwin, thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you. And listeners, if you like this podcast, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to watch the full video episodes. You can check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I'm your host, Anubam Gupta, B50 on Twitter. And thank you, really, folks. Thank you so much for listening to Pesa Vesa. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.